They go, Tim is the top G.I. Joe fan in the whole of America. Tim è il miglior fan di G.I. Joe in tutta l'America. Let's talk about this comic. Okay, this was straight, fairly straightforward, so let's see how long it takes us. <laughs> 49 minutes, that's my guess. Live from the Talking Joe Studios, it's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 we're the monkeys. It's me, Mark, head of guest relations for the Talking Joe Casino. Um, if you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we will be looking at G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue 293, which was released 8th of June 2022. It's the storyline where Alpine hunts vampires in the Transylvanian mountains. That's right. It's high stakes. Joining me, as always, <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's... Thank you. It's a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, listeners, and hello, Mark. Uh, Mark, if you are head of... What was that? Customer relations at Cobra Casino. I would like to be um, Bat009, head porter. And I, will, I will carry your luggage to your room. I guess in this analogy, your luggage is your listening experience with the mm. podcast. And will you be wearing the costume? Um, a, a, a male version of it, yes. <laughs> Good a, grief. Tr- a traditionally male version of it. Wow. Um, shall we get into it? Uh, let, let's let's go. So we're talking about issue two nine three just out this last week as a time of recording, coming from writer Larry Hammer, artist S L Gallant, inks Maria Keen, colours Jay Brown, letters Neil Utaki, group editor Tom Waltz, and research specialist Diana Davis. Now, before we get into the inside of the book, let's have a look at those things, what they have on the front of them. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Cover A of G.I. Joe 293 is the middle of a five-part connecting cover drawn by Freddie Williams II and coloured by Fariza Kamputra. Um, we finally see Serpentor. In our previous episode, uh, Mark was starting to talk about this because the final page says next month and has this cover on it. And he said, Serpentor, Serpentor, Serpentor. And I said, no, 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 let's save this for the next episode. <laughs> um, so Mark and I had been wondering in previous episodes, reading about reading the story and in the previous arc that had a five part connecting Freddie Williams II cover, right? Originally, these five covers in solicits appeared to go for that earlier arc Mm -hmm. yeah and then swapped out for the movie uh themed yeah the the battle at the uh statue of liberty and then and these kind we wondered what happened to these covers they got they got lodged with joe 291 through 295 and it seems to turn out that's because this story is about maybe bringing back serpentor and serpentor is indeed in the middle of this five-part uh, cover. So here we are with cover A. Um, two thirds of the entire image are Cobra Commanders helmeted 
uh, face with the silver mask and a sort of small serpentor floating, walking toward camera away from uh, Cobra Commander and just two Joes, uh, Dawn in her entirety and Flint in his entirety, reacting to this sort of burst of light and uh, and serpentor. And as a cover, I think this would this does a pretty good job getting someone casually looking on a rack of new comics to pick up this book and maybe buy it. But as with a comment I've made previously about a lot of connecting covers and sometimes wraparound covers, I feel like negative space is decided quite differently. And I think if you were to, on its own, commission a one-image cover from most artists, Freddie Williams II included, with just these five elements, cover commander's face, Serpentor, Dawn, Flint reacting. I think even there you'd get a different composition that would be a little bolder, a little more striking. So um, I don't dislike this cover, but it does just sit there a little bit. But I do like all the poses, right? Flint's pose is great. Uh, Serpentor looks um, imposing. And uh, this is probably the first time we've seen uh, Freddie Williams II draw this version of Cobra Commander. Hmm. Yeah, probably. Unfortunately, though, no Serpentor on the inside. After getting, after building myself to, to up to say that he wouldn't be in, then sort of walking it back last episode. Now, finally, it's here. And we, we don't have Serpentor making his grand reveal on the in- interior of this episode. He is mentioned, he is mentioned once or twice, though. And, and, it, and it is in process that Mindbender wants to bring him back. That, that is in the, in the comic. And actually, while we're on connecting covers as well, I just, uh, I'll just flag as well, there's some exciting news that Jamie Sullivan's big interconnecting cover of the grand Cobra cast uh, that, that he'd trailed on social media a few months back has now been solicited as a forthcoming set of covers. So starting with issue 296, I believe, will be the first part of the next set of interconnecting covers with uh, yeah, that, that cool set of cast of thousands of Cobras uh, sort of must must be in the lead up to uh, issue 300 with probably 300 being the last part and, of that cover. And uh, refresh our listeners, uh, Jamie Sullivan previously did several interconnecting covers with every Joe. Yeah, he had that big Joe cover with um, including holding deceased joes as well and he had another set uh, where not had- not their not their corpses uh fra- <laughs> framed photos of them it was Did all I, the joes yeah. <laughs> all the joes standing and a few joes were holding framed mm-hmm. images of deceased joes yeah and uh cool and a cool one of the original 13 joes as well before that i believe cover b of issue 293 is drawn by sl gallant and colored by j brown and uh this has uh, Cobra Commander on the bottom with his arms um, spread and his palms up to the sky. He's lit by two uh, braziers or, or giant torches on either side of him. We are low. The camera is at waist height or below and looking up. And behind mm. Cobra Commander is Destro's silent castle mm. with a big banner on it that says grand opening and then a sign that's illuminated that says casino. And most of that word casino is obstructed by Cobra Commander. And then coming above from behind this castle are a variety, a great variety of Cobra aircraft. So there's a fire, there's a, a couple trouble bubbles, a firebat, a rattler, 
a uh is that that the hurricane vtol yeah i was just thinking looking at that and thinking probably it's it's the underside of it is like sort of looks to be color green yeah aquajet gray wings uh uh yellow missiles uh the uh the night raven a a fang and uh there's a, a medium blue sky above them and all the jets are uh sort of coming out of and blasting with uh sort of light purple smoke clouds and it didn't occur to me until right when i sat down to read this comic that this cover has a fun sort of factual error and that is that this is destro's castle Mm -hmm. depicted on the cover and you know made famous in issue 21 and you know we saw it again in 135 through 138 when it sort of transforming and uh, this castle is not on Cobra Island, and Cobra Commander has not opened a casino on this castle. But maybe in needing to draw a cover ahead of time, someone said to the artist, "Just draw anything that's that's an identifiable <laughs> Cobra building." Uh, and I'm fine with that, right? Covers can be exaggerations. Covers should be exaggerations of the interior. If if a character is in their civilian clothes or in a disguise, I probably want them in their iconic costume on the cover. And I, you know, I wouldn't say, wait a minute, they're not wearing their funny mustache on the cover. I, I want that. I want to know who it is on the cover, right? Not to see some Joe wearing a hat and a funny mustache. But also, also, I realized the reason why I like this is that in a previous episode of this show, we sort of realized that though he was solicited to draw a page for the G.I. Joe 40th <laughs> anniversary special, which is the remake of issue 21, Silent Interlude, Shannon Gallant, in fact, did not draw any pages of the page-by-page remake of issue 21, because probably because he's too busy drawing this final run up to 300. And so here on this cover, in a sideways way, Shannon Gallant gets to draw not a page from Silent Interlude, but the castle <laughs> maybe maybe this started off as page one of the silent interlude remake and they were running out of time like no make it a cover instead <laughs> but um from story purposes as well um it, i think it was back when mindbender was visiting the geodesic dome in new orleans uh, that they they talked about there potentially being a uh, like a franchise of cobra casinos all over the world that that was going to be part of the grand scheme so uh, maybe this is kind of looking ahead to to that mm. a, sto- a story that we won't get because that would be like issue 306 well um, you never know sometimes things move fast sometimes they move slow <laughs> that's true uh uh there is a small detail i want to point out that i really like in this cover uh which is that have um, you been looking at the brasiers uh, that's 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 not how Americans say that word. Okay. But, but thank you for the joke. Um, I, I say that because I made that mistake as a college student, and I slightly shocked a family <laughs> member when I was describing one item, and that family member thought I was describing the other. Um, no, um, reflected in Cobra Commander's faceplate on this cover are his outstretched arms. Yeah, in, in silhouette, which is just a very nice, smart, drawn detail. Mm-hmm. Um, this cover is a little unusual in that it focuses equally on characters and vehicles. I'm always kind of fascinated with the G.I. Joe covers that are only or primarily about uh, vehicles uh, in a way that, like, I don't mean 47 with um, Hawk and Beachhead and uh, 
wetsuit on the devil on the devil fish. I mean, what is it? One or one twenty eight. What's the Wildman cover with the battle wagon where the cover is okay. very mm-hmm. much about the battle wagon. And then mm-hmm. the Joes almost look like action figures on a on a vehicle or uh 60 something what's the ron wagner cover with the rolling thunder and the stealth yeah 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 um is that yeah that's the one where the the rolling thunder is coming right towards us yeah right yeah and here's a cover that is one third about you know character cobra commander person one third about vehicles and one third about sort of background and negative space you know there's a lot of sky here which is which is probably good because you know idw tends to put stuff behind the logo and tends to not let stuff go in front of the logo and uh here just a tiny bit two of those planes do go just a tiny bit over the logo anyway so fun cover um this is definitely a cover that to me represents the image and i at my comic book store happily put 293 cover b in front of 293 cover a because i think it sells the comic much better it also actually uh just as you were describing it i was sort of looking at it it's sort of also is a kind of counterpoint to the Serpentor Uncoiled reprint special, which S.L. Gallant did the cover for. Yeah. So Cobra I, Command, the command, Cobra Command with his outstretched arms and big Kelly Jones-esque sort of flowing cloak is, uh, is actually not a million miles away from Serpentor on the front cover there. Although, yeah, compositionally, Serpentor is much more dominance in the in the Serpentor cover, whereas Cobra Commander is down in the bottom. I think this is a coincidence. I think Gallant on that Serpentor reprint is referring to Serpentor's speech at the end of issue 49. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say coincidentally, not referring to Serpentor's speech in uh uh at the um Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. in the Arise, Serpentor Arise animated miniseries. But note in the Serpentor Uncoiled cover, there there are two columns on the top left and right um, with these uh, upstretched fists. And a bunch of vipers do pump their fists uh, in that animated episode when Serpentor gives a speech about <laughs> the thousand-year rule of Cobra. Uh, I, I think these covers are similar coincidentally. I think... You know, if you have, if you yeah. put a hundred, yeah, yeah. put a hundred monkeys in a room with a hundred typewriters, sooner or later, two of them are going to draw GI Joe covers that are more similar than dissimilar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good. Because also think about it logically, right? If you're going to show Cobra Commander at the Cobra Casino in a bunch of planes, if you show it, if you have the camera high up looking down, maybe Cobra Commander is not going to read, or maybe uh, you're you're going to sort of uh, not be able to maximize the element anyway the elements uh cover ri retailer incentive comic book stores could order one copy of this for every 10 copies combined of covers mm. a and b is uh drawn by Nitho diaz and colored by uh, vinicius townsend and it is a straight on cool action ready to attack shot of all three snake eyes. There's original snake eyes in the back holding two swords with his Uzi sort of on, on a, uh, on a uh, sort of wrapped around his shoulder swinging. Uh, there's Throwdown with one sword and one Uzi. Uh, and then there's Don Moreno, uh, who is currently snake eyes 
with one sword and uh, what might not be an Uzi, but what might be a Mac 10 yep. uh, on a, um, what's that word? Piece of strap. fabric for hanging strap <laughs> on a, on a strap hanging uh, over her shoulders. And uh, there's no background, uh, but the background's divided into sort of three dominant blocks. And you can't quite tell because the logo and original Snake Eyes' displacement, but the, the red rectangles behind him either are or remind you of the Arashikage uh, logo tattoo. Um, mm. Cool cover. This is certainly a sexier cover to sell, but you know stores probably wouldn't be selling this at cover price off the new rack next to A and B because it's rare and therefore quote valuable. Yep. What happens on the insides? <laughs> so, you know what? Let me add one more thing. Um, cover cover RI uh, is meaningful for two reasons. One, it's uh, it's the second to last Nitho Diaz G.I. Joe contribution that we know we have coming before the series ends. Um, he's doing some work for Marvel right now. I don't know if that's a one-off or the beginning of something bigger. Uh, he does have a Serpentor hardcover reprint. He's drawn a new image for that, and that's coming soon from IDW, oh, yes. mm-hmm. um, which is going to reprint issues 49 and 50 and Yearbook 2 and some other stuff. So, you know, this guy who had, who contributed something significant to the IDW run, it's 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 exciting to see him sort of check back in one more time when seemingly he's he's not going to be available. And two, um, this image is it's not a memory and it's not uh, it's not a fantasy, but it is it is a moment that can't exist because, of course, original Snake Eyes is dead. So oh, this can is, it? Well, right. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, in terms of sort of, you know, fan wishes and hopes and a little bit of fantasy and fun. Hey, it's that character we all love who's gone. And the two characters who have tried to replace him all together. And yet the original Snake Eyes, because he's behind them and he's he's not emerging from smoke, but I think to separate his legs from uh, Throwdown's arm. Uh, I think the the black ink of original Snake Eyes' legs have been knocked back with a lot of white to sort of push him further back. Uh, it does feel a little bit like maybe he's not physically there. He's sort of mentally there. But either way, um, it's it's the team up that we maybe didn't know we always wanted. Mm, or, maybe, or maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into this. Maybe, maybe he's not on their team. Maybe... That's a male- malevolent uh, oh. snake eyes. Huh. It's, it's some, as you say, sort huh. of somewhat separated from the two in the front and sort of coming up behind. Uh... Like in it, like a surprise. I'm going to mm. go out on a limb and say that uh, Diaz's art direction for this, this is a guess, did not <laughs> include that that detail. And that someone said, why don't you draw all three snake eyes? That's awesome. Or he said, can I draw all three snake eyes? That's awesome. And someone said, yes. <laughs> probably, uh, I, probably but yes you know if it turns out story-wise that this is what happens in a couple issues you know snake Eyes is back from the dead because of mindbender he's he's evil or goodness there are many clones of him then this cover may look prescient what happens on the inside on cobra island guests are being welcomed for the grand opening of the cobra casino resort crimson guard laura is in charge of the screening process but doesn't spot Jinx, Helix, Dawn, and Scarlet 
disguised as old biddies in fat suits, nor Sean, who is in Mufti as a Burns victim. The Joe team are feeding intel back to Duke, Stalker, Mainframe, back at the pit, and also to Rock and Roll, Gung Ho and Roblox, who are camped out in the Cobra Island tree line. However, the Revanche Casino bots scan the cases of the Joes and identify that they are full of weapons. Meanwhile, Dr. Mindbender monologues about his lab projects to create a new supreme military commander and use his brainwave scanners to clone Snake Eyes. When Cobra Commander comes snooping into the lab, Mindbender distracts him by reminding him of the underlying strategy for the casino project, something they call Sleeping Laundry. Scarlet and Snake Eyes snoop about on the roof of the casino and spot a suspicious amount of refrigeration units, perhaps to cool some mainframes. Elsewhere, Jinx snoops about in Mindbender's lab and overhears his plan to clone a Cobra Snake Eyes. She asks Dawn and Helix for a distraction. As Dawn and Helix go about creating that distraction, they come across a casino worker who transforms into combat mode. Time for Dawn and Helix to do battle against a deadly casino bot. Again. To be continued. What are your overall impressions of this issue? Good question, Tim. Um, I'm enjoying this series overall in this uh, the high stakes arc. I like where it's going, and I like the fact that I'm all, always going to be surprised by whatever it is that that Larry comes up with. In terms of this specific issue, um, I, I liked what we got, but I was somewhat disappointed by a feeling of déjà vu. I'll, I'll expand that. That I think I had. Sort of three main cases of deja vu. Um, shall I outline those? Yes. Okay. So, first one was uh, Mindbender is back again explaining his scheme to Laura and and giving a tiny little piece of nuggets, um, expanding on what we've heard before. So, he's already spoken to Laura about his scheme in issue 287, 291, 292, and now we're back for the fourth time uh, in 293. We're also seeing uh, Helix and Dawn up against the casino bot again, which we uh, which we saw back in 289. Uh, I'll, I'll give the benefit of the doubt for, for that one uh, this this time just in case uh, in case that the, some of the breadcrumbs that, that they introduced there about Helix's mother's fighting style and that kind of stuff might might you know get some follow-up. Um, the, the third one is that uh, the Joes are back again discovering the lab behind the kitchen like it's, uh, you know, as a big surprise, like it's the first time they're finding out about it when back in 287, again, the Joes had a recon team where they went into the lab and, and found out about the lab and, you know, plugged in to, to steal some data and stuff. So you would have expected there to, uh, you know, as part of the Intel briefing process, that we would find out, you know, that Joes would know exactly what was going on in that that lab. So, so yeah, that that's the case of déjà vu and and possible confusion. Yeah, that first one that you mentioned really struck out and uh, stuck out at me. In that there are there are two whole pages of this issue, pages ten and sixteen, which were a, a repeat of Mindbender in the lab explaining the technology to Laura. And I think this time 
it happens for Jinx's benefit to hear. Because on page 16, she's hiding. And then that final panel, she says something which is going to move the story forward. I just overheard some bombshell stuff, but I need a distraction to facilitate extraction. So, you know, it's one thing for the readers, you know, in sort of third person omniscient territory to hear Mindbender explain something to Cobra Commander and Laura in the lab. But the Joes don't know it unless the Joes know it. So Mm -hmm. logically, some of that was important, but it was a lot of real estate. Yeah, and, and those the first two pages are before Jinx is in the lab as well, so she's not overhearing that bit. Yes. So, and it was only one issue ago, right? That Mindbender was explaining mm, the, the Genghis Khan thing, and yeah, yeah, and the different tanks. Um, what? What I think we get this this issue is a kind of a little bit of the extra building on what, what's come before, and yeah, as I say, sort of you know expand expanding on this this sequence and finding out a little bit um, of extra information each time. I think it's it's a little bit clearer this time around that Mindbender is cr- trying to create a supreme military commander to replace Cobra Commander. So what does he say? This time I will produce the supreme military commander who can make up for strategic weaknesses of our used car salesman termed pyramid scheme promoter. So, uh, yeah, so there's obviously a little bit of Machiavellian re- replacing uh, Cobra Commander. He's, uh, you know, is an old dog who's <laughs> repeating his old tricks because uh, he, he was on Team Serpentor uh, back, in the, back in the day against Cobra Commander to... To some degree, wasn't he? And as Cobra Commander comes into the lab, he sort of quickly tries to uh, change, uh, you know, change topic onto something else. So, so yeah, doesn't want Cobra Commander to know, I guess, the full extent of uh, his schemes. Yeah, I I liked that the dialogue you just quoted, where Mindbender trashes Cobra Commander as a used car salesman turned pyramid scheme promoter because. In the previous page, and back on page two, three, four, Cobra Commander, a global terrorist, <laughs> is is both greeting a busload of tourists, arriving tourists, uh, via a bullhorn, welcoming welcoming them to his casino, and also uh, encouraging them to enjoy the delicious food while gambling. At his casino, <laughs> and so this this makes me think. One of the times that I spoke with Kirk Bazigian, um, he said to me that he had never he was never fully on board with the Marvel Comics take on Cobra, and that I mean, you know, certainly I think this was true for the cartoon because the character is a little silly, but in the comic. You know, like we can say Cobra Commander is a homegrown terrorist, but there is as much of this sort of pyramid scheme stuff, which I think is funny and cynical, but it's not it's not immediately deadly mm-hmm. and delicious the way that like Megatron is in Transformers stories or um, maybe some James Bond villains are. And uh, Larry Hama's Cobra Commander is 
you know, he's got an ego and he doesn't always take the initiative and he, he surrounds himself with, with mediocrity, you know, like I, it's like, there are other people in Cobra and, and yet for like the last hundred issues, like who is uh, Cobra commander most likely to talk to Dr. Weinbender. It's like, there are all those other interesting Cobra agents. There's Firefly and Scrap Iron and Xandar and Gristle. Gristle's never even appeared. And so anyway, so this Cobra Commander in these two scenes, I think it's funny. And I think I think a terrorist, a, a global terrorist who who was a used car salesman and did try to brainwash an entire American town in issue 99. 99 101 i forget mm-hmm. um i do think this is in keeping i think this is consistent with his character but it's a little i don't want to say silly but it doesn't feel like high stakes considering the title and i would like more menace i do think you can have villains who you know like there are real life military people and despots and politicians who win over the population after doing terrible things to a minority of the population by like promising, you know, bread and circuses to the rest of the population. And they like say outlandish things, you know, at at, like televised speeches um, and they, you know, they kiss babies and they like attend cultural events and sort of make everyone forget, you know, like the ethnic genocide they just committed over there, that kind of thing. But I had a flash while reading these two scenes of Cobra Commander welcoming people of the Cobra Commander of the Deke episodes of the animated G.I. Joe, who's who's um, silly and the stakes are not very high. So I think this guy can be deliciously evil and uh, he can have more than one face and more than one plan going on at the same time. And I'm I'm really interested to know what cerebral laundry is i have a guess because it involves brainwave scanners mm. um and and Cobra commander says yes the casino itself is going to make a tidy profit even without manipulating the odds but sleeping laundry is the icing on the cake cool like awesome and yes i think there are gullible people who would take a boat and a bus to a casino in the gulf of mexico and like not realize that it is a global terrorist who's wearing a mask who's welcoming them at the same time uh, he's got a bullhorn you know like <laughs> he's talking about like steak he's like, oh, i should have a gun <laughs> i mean i mean he's he's not an uh, he's not a one-note character so like i'm i'm actually not interested in the like overly simplified sort of you know mission impossible james bond villain who just like kidnaps uh, uh, a cruise ship of tourists and ransoms them from his island or like forces them to play games at his casino. Like it is much more interesting if, if all these smart people come there of their own volition because he's much smarter than them or they're not smart after all. But the the menace does feel far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what, about the other menace in the uh, in the book, what about the the killer casino bot at the end? How did you feel about her fairly rapid reappearance? 
I thought the transformation page, the second to last uh, page of the issue was was fun, some fun storytelling and sort of an escalation, you know, like armor pops out of her shoulders. There's a sound effect. Armor pops out of her legs. There's some little... good sound effects there. Let's talk about SFX, baby. Let's talk about pew and scree. Let's talk about shooting gun things and the sound effects. We'll see. Let's talk about SFX. Let's talk about SFX. Yes, yes, great sound effects, right? Kashunt, pathonk, 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 thrip, kashrag. Uh, and then there, then there isn't one for the flamethrower coming out of her mouth on the final page. But I, I got to this page and I thought, oh, wait, no, I wanted this fight to be the end of the story. But the last couple pages are just cliffhangering to the fight. Uh, when did we last see this this robot? Uh, that was 289, the Casey Maloney issue. Right, right. Okay. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm. I'm happy to see her back. Uh, I feel like if there had been two fewer pages of Mindbender talking about his plan, there then maybe this whole fight between Dawn and Helix and this robot could have started and finished rather than been set up. Uh, how did you feel about her return appearance? I didn't object too too much it it just there seemed to be a bit missing beats which was a recognition from dawn and helix that they've encountered one of these uh mm. one of these casino bots before yeah which which just sort of felt a little bit off it's like if, if you fought fought one not too long ago can you just go oh man again you know some, something like that right because the dialogue the dialogue is um, initiating combat mode, transfiguration protocol. I don't like the sound of that. Nope, nope, nope. When maybe yeah. the di- maybe the note is the beat is like, oh, not again, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, haven't we done this before? Something that did occur to me with, with this final scene is <laughs> we're going to have a fight with two Joes not in their costumes. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, I, I you know, I, I don't know why these two ca- characters. Um, in disguise, sneaking around sunglasses the and floppy apps. Yeah, they, they wouldn't have time to like drop their civvies and put on their costumes if this were an episode of the show, or uh, <laughs> or Justice League: The Road to Dark Crisis, that one shot from last month. The character would just tear their entire uh, disguise off, Batman, and like have their actual costume under it. Right. Um, or the or the GI Joe cartoon Snake Eyes would go about <laughs> pretending that he was in disguise just by putting on a cobra helmet or something, wouldn't he? Yeah, I, th- I think once or twice Zartan is wearing a costume and he he pulls the mask off with a flourish and then very easily I might be inventing this tears off sort of the whole clothing set that he's wearing and he's got his costume under it. Um, anyway, anyway, uh, but it occurred to me it occurred, it occurred to me that this fight is going to be three women wearing skirts and they're all ninja. <laughs> and, and I, I don't say this to make a joke about uh, like a reader having a dirty mind. I think about this from a practical standpoint, um, having read a bunch of Supergirl comics 10 years ago where DC gives her this like silly skirt that's way too short. And so like artists have to sort of contort themselves so that the camera isn't like looking up her skirt. 
But like this is a char- Supergirl is a character who flies. And so very often people in the scene or the reader might be in a place where they could see up her skirt, which is why that costume doesn't work. Mm. Um, and uh, I saw this scene and I thought, well, here's this sexy female robot that's wearing a skirt. And here are these two Joes in disguise wearing skirts. And there's about to be a whole jump of a whole bunch of jumping and kicking. <laughs> Fat correct, correcting Mark will come in here and actually say that, that Helix is wearing old lady baggy sh- shorts, gray shorts. And uh, Dawn looks like she's wearing like sort of cycling shorts, like black type. Shorts. All right. Right. You are. Yes. If you flip back two pages earlier, you can see them running down the hallway. Tim's dirty um, mind filling in the blanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to distract you with a really nice sound effect. Uh, four pages, <laughs> four pages from the end when they when they push through a door that says "staff only" and the sound effect says "thump." Thanks, Tim. I'm distracted now. Here's 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 something that I really liked in in the issue. Uh, this little bit of logical writing where. Scarlet and Throwdown are looking at this lower rooftop on the casino. Mm-hmm. They've rappelled down from a higher window mm-hmm. and they see um, something like two acres of industrial HVAC units. And she says, the hotel has its own units. This array is way too much for just the casino. What needs this much refrigeration? And then we cut back to road. Uh, we cut back to rock and roll on the other end of the, of the com. And she's not just asking, um, hypothetically and he says mainframes and this is one of those things like there's never going to be an x-men comic you know where the x-men are raiding magneto's uh, space station or arctic headquarters or undersea base (laughs) right and they're like who would need this many metal forks who could possibly need them (gasps) magneto the version would be, you know, you'd, 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 you'd run into a room and there'd be five dozen unconscious zombified mutants, all with like power collars and someone sucking their powers from them. And you'd say something like, wait, which, wait, why are there all these prisoners here? The villain must have some other plan in mind. Um, but I, I, I really appreciate the, the logical, I, this, this fact this question and this answer that um, how, how are the Joes going to find out that something is going on in this Cobra building besides the reasonable guess that something is going on? The air conditioners. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I say this both as someone who enjoys air conditioning and also someone <laughs> who has been on a roof with air conditioning compressors. Like I've walked around them and it's, it's something I have given a little bit of thought to. Very good. And over in the next scene, after the um, all of the the excitement with the air, air conditioning units, <laughs> they, we're we're with Jinx in the uh, lab after she's snuck in, and she and she says, "This is Jinx reporting in. Doctor Mindbender has a huge lab hidden behind the kitchen!" Exclamation mark. He's got brainwave scanners here and some other weird apparatus. That's oops, gotta go. And and this is almost an error detected for me that it just seems that that from that line of dialogue that she's just oblivious to that there there being a lab behind to behind the um, kitchen when the the Joe's last reconnaissance team that was their main discovery and you'd expect 
you know, there to be some sort of post-mission briefing or pre-mission briefing in this case uh, to let them know there. And, and that couldn't be a specific destination. And maybe just if that dialogue was just ever so slightly tweaked, it's like we're following up on uh, the, pr- the previous intel that the last team gathered. And I'm, I'm now in the lab trying to fi- find out more, you know, dot, 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 something, you know, something along those those lines. That would That would just make this make more sense rather than me thinking... You know, taking it all on face value, thinking, oh, are the you know are the GI Joes just an amateur bunch that they don't talk to each other? They go and do in this big mission, and they've not thought to say, what were the last guys here? What did they find out? You know? Yeah, I I think this issue this issue feels a little underdeveloped, and like it needed another another pass at the writing or editing stage. Just just some small changes. I still think. This team infiltrating infiltrating the island and the casino the way they do is great. Cutting back to uh, Duke and company back at the pit, you know, a little bit more uh, on the labs and Serpentor's schemes, hinting at a bigger scheme, uh, and then checking in with Revanche. I think all that's good, but this issue felt very much to me short, primarily because of those two pages that were rehashing what has happened previously, quite previously. And this issue also felt sort of transitional in that there isn't a fight, there's a setup for a fight. Mm. And there are issues of G.I. Joe which are transition issues, and there are issues of G.I. Joe which are like the big fight issues, and there are issues of G.I. Joe where there's, you know, a short chase and a short fight. And I'm fine with issues of this series going back and forth from one of these modes to another, you know, it, it it might get boring actually if every issue was just a big fight. You know, you'd have to take a breath eventually. Um, but I can't help but feel with 300 coming so quickly, every page is such mm. valuable real estate right now. It's it's an interesting observation as well that this ends on like a cliffhanger to to be continued. It's the you know it's trailing the fight that will probably happen next next issue. And I'm thinking back. And it's probably not since Snake Hunt that that that's happened. That most of the issues since then have been fairly self-contained, and and haven't had that you know find out what happens next in in the next issue you know kind of kind of thing. Do you think I'm right? Do you think it's uh, yeah? I, d- yeah. I think it, they've they've either been like an untold tale which has been self-contained or or even part one or part two of high stakes, it's been an adventure that has, you know, had a kind of conclusion at the end of it. And the kind of the next issue kind of picks up, but, yeah. but not directly in, not, not in the middle, not, not in the middle of action anyway. Yeah. Yes. And I would respond more to the stakes of this cliffhanger here with two Joes up against a killer robot. If the scale of this fight were noticeably different from the last time we saw this robot. Hmm. But the scale's about the same, or yep. the same. Um, <laughs> Just in different attire. Uh, I did want to tip my hat to a couple of fun details. Uh, well, maybe this is an I spy, but on page one, panel one, uh, the cruise ship has a Cobra motif to it. Mm-hmm. There's a giant... It's not one of the smokestacks of the cruise ship, but it's a giant decorative thing the size of one of the smokestacks, and it's shaped like a cobra. And we've seen a little bit of this in the animated series, like the 
you know, the Cobra airship from the beginning of the, the 1985 season or the, the Cobra airship from the beginning of the animated movie and a Cobra airship or two from just some regular episodes. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And in that same panel, you've kind of got those like kind of speaker towers. I'm, I'm assuming they're speaker towers with like the Cobra, the purple Cobras at the head of them. Yeah. Or if they're not speaker towers, they're, um, I don't, I don't even know what you'd call it. You know, when you're in a parking lot and there are certain like tall poles that have a number or a uh-huh. symbol on them. Mm-hmm. So you know mm-hmm. where you park. And if you're getting off a, a cruise ship, you might sort of line up in different sections because thousands of people are getting off. You know, it's go oh, if your name, last name's A through C, you know, go to, go to the first Cobra pole, you know, or people who are in first class, please walk past the riffraff who are lining up by these giant Cobra poles. Uh, also at the bottom of page one, and uh, we see it again on page three, and uh, and then on page four, um, Shannon Gallant draws the casino in a way that we haven't quite seen up until now. It is fully constructed, and we see it from several angles, mm-hmm. and um, its shape at the bottom of page three, and also its shape at the bottom of page one reminds me a little bit of Mandalay Bay, which is one of the mega hotels in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. um, where from some angles it looks like it's just sort of uh, shaped like a mild V, but it's actually sort of three-pronged. Um, and I don't know, you know, in the plot for these issues, what what hotel Hama might be referring to. It's like, oh, draw it like this. Or if artists are just making it up as they go. Um, but I'm very much convinced both by the configuration and design of the casino. And also I'm just very pleased as a reader on that final panel of page three to see this aerial view looking down of the whole casino grounds and all of the woods and forest around it and the water and the Cobra cruise ship in the background, right? Mm -hmm. It's, It's good storytelling. Hey, Tim, it's funny you should mention the casino design because actually I asked S.L. Gallant, the artist, about it. And he sent me a nice reply describing his process for designing the rest of the casino. Uh, And I thought it would be more interesting than just me reading out his response to get him to record a response and play that. Uh, But he was too busy drawing the issue to do that. So uh, instead, I asked his good friend, John Thurman, to read his response, doing his best impression of S.L. Gallant. Um, which he kind of did, but he read it doing his impressed impression of S.L. Gallant, who is also doing an impression of Larry Hammer. So uh, here's what John, I mean, uh, Larry, I mean, um, S.L. Gallant had to say. John Thurman, reading quotes from Gallant. Let's see what he says. I wanted the hotel to feel like a real structure or casino but I was stuck with the existing front, so I tried to flesh out the structure on the backside. The segmented or beehive back was supposed to play off the cape lines of the Cobra logo, and then I tried indicating pool, tennis courts, etc., because it's supposed to be a resort. Plus, I wanted it to look like I had room for restaurants, theaters, bars, as any Vegas hotel. There was already the pre-existing design for the front and the Mindbender lab. So there we go. That's what S.L. Gallant had to say about the casino as it appeared in that panel. Uh, Great little panel. Every issue that uh, Gallant draws, there are many panels like this where people or props or physical spaces are established and Mm reestablished. 
you know, a couple pages later when Gung Ho is looking through his binoculars. Uh, on the on the previous page, our five Joes check into two rooms next to each other, and it's very clearly that they're checking into two ho- hotel rooms right next to each other. And Scarlet says, "Oh look, those nice ladies from the Jitney have the door right next to ours, have the room right next to ours, right?" And then you turn the page, right? So it's shown and told, and then you turn the page, and Gung Ho says, "I see them." And then we in POV see what he sees in the binoculars, and two separate windows right next to each other. There are two Joes waving at us at the at the recon team and then one of them in green has taken off her mask and then two panels later she very quickly has put it back on mm-hmm. to tip the uh the the robot the porter that's just that's just some good yeah sort of holding holding it up at the back of her neck kind of in, in... yeah um these are all examples of of um good storytelling and if if it seems like i'm complimenting gallant for doing his job you know there are lots of very flashy artists who draw very exciting pages that look more like covers who like don't track characters across space consistently or like props and this kind of thing would be beyond them and so you know this is this is something that i look for in comics and when i see it i enjoy it and i Mm -hmm. have come to expect it in gi joe because G.I. Joe comes from an era of comics when every comic had to always do this full, clear visual storytelling. And um, Gallant has recently done a few blog posts where he sort of talked about his process and, and stuff. And it's, you know, interesting to see his uh, his work, his sort of uh, pencils and, and some some written thoughts about the, the process. And he talks about uh, the detail of spaces. He said he, he, he uh, you know, likes to create the space and this consistency in it. And he says, I was trying to echo details in my pages. I hate when artists uh, establish something and then it disappears in later panels or even future issues. I like to maintain the design of a room, no matter the time distance between scenes. It's not always easy, especially when you're trying to move the camera around to keep shots fresh. I hate box room designs. And when people are in a hurry, it's easy to default to that. Adam Hughes once told me at the time that he was in the habit of drawing the room and then putting the people in it. I'd still try and do that, but I also have to have people in poses that are more realistic. I hate everyone always posturing. It gets boring. People are lazy and we lean, and we lean on stuff a lot. Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely sort of very natural, naturalistic body language. Um, there, are, there are two small details where, uh, as much as I like Gallant's storytelling, where I wish his drawing had a little more oomph, a little more detail. And and I appreciate that he's juggling dozens of characters in this issue with lots of locations. And and every scene has multiple characters. It's not just one person giving a speech in an empty room. But uh, on that second page, when uh, we initially see who turns out to be Throwdown, sort of not in disguise, in disguise... <laughs> It's a little unclear to me in looking over Laura and the Techno Viper's shoulder onto a screen that this is whether or not it's Throwdown. I think you're. I think Hama's letting you guess, and a moment later you're going to figure it out. But here is a character who has um, uh, tissue damage to their face, and they're wearing a bandage. And the, the drawing's a little unclear. It's kind of small in the panel. Even the blow up on the monitor uh, that says uh, negative. Uh, it's it's a little hard to to suss out because you know there's sort of this transparency and he's got glasses um, and then similarly 
a couple pages later when the Joes are in their hotel room and Scarlet has taken off her mask. And she says, well, that was certainly a turnaround. Old Scarlet wears the rubber mask and Sean goes natural. Can't wait to shuck off this fat suit. And she's holding a mask. That is such a fun detail that that there's this mask and Gallant draws it from the inside out. So we we sort of see the part of it in her hand that would press against her face. And as a prop, that's such a fun, weird, slightly disconcerting object. And it is not it's not super important to the storytelling of that of that moment. Right. Just the fact that they're getting out of costume once they're in the safety uh, the, the privacy of their hotel room, right? Like it's, it's, it's great. The panel's great. We see him sitting down. We see he's no longer in the wheelchair. So we establish he doesn't need the wheelchair. She's taking off her mask. There's a great detail. She's taking off her mask at the little table that has the coffee maker and every hotel room has some kind of coffee maker. Um, but that mask. That's a, a coffee maker. I thought it's where you washed your socks. Oh, crumbs. <sighs> um, I, I wish that there was a little more room in the, in the storytelling. This might be plot and script. This might be sort of camera angles that the artist is choosing to zoom in on that mask. I don't mean like it's it's a panel all by itself in close up, but I wish we had a little more real estate to see that mask because mm. that's a very specific prop. And it, it happens again two pages later when, is it Jinx? Who's in the blue? Is it Dawn? Someone with black hair. Uh, it's looking uh, sorry when, when they're not in costume jinx and dawn look the same to me um is looking jinx is at, in the blue <laughs> okay thank you jinx is looking at the open suitcase on the on the bed and right next to it behind her is the mask that she took off and mm-hmm. that's a little bit more of what i want but uh yeah i just, I just want a little more of that like okay this is not a lightsaber in a star wars movie right and this is not Snake Eyes' Uzi or his sword or or her sword, right, Dawn. Um, this is not the most important prop in the issue, but it is something a little extra and unusual. And I feel like the story can pay a little more attention to it mm-hmm. in a way that I don't know, like the binoculars that Gung Ho is, is using. I, I don't need anything. I don't need a closer up shot of that. I don't need him. I don't need him to explain his binoculars. I don't need him to say he's holding binoculars, but you know, maybe it's, I'm just used to episodes of GI Joe where, Dar- you know, Zarana and Zartan like tear off their mask. And it's like, Oh my goodness. It's Zarana or Zartan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, you just, you just talked about sort of the, the enormous amount of work and, and sort of the, you know, putting lots of details into the, to making each scene look very natural. And, uh, and we're talking about sort of, uh, all of the details in the background and, and stuff, you know, Gallant's doing a lot of uh, work here. And um, I reached out to him and I, I asked him if he wanted to uh, to to take part in, in this and, and if he had any particular thoughts on the, on this issue. And uh, and he said, really, he said, well, I'm too he said, I'm too busy drawing issue 296. <laughs> leave me alone. Exactly. John Thurman reading quotes from Gallant. Let's see what he says. Really, all I've been thinking is I need more time as I'm penciling 20 pages in two weeks. Speaking of, back to it. Wow. So uh, he's working his socks off uh, to to get us these these issues. So um, 
hats off uh, hats off to you to you shannon here's some other things i like in the issue when dr mindbender announces to laura as you can see there is a direct cable connection from this tube to the brainwave scanners and he's got his arms right now that now that Serpentor has done it, now that Cobra Commander has done it on some covers. <laughs> Doctor Mindbender gets to splay his arms out and show off the thing next to him behind him. Um, in this word balloon, uh, Neil Yuatake has the B, the first letter and the last letter of brainwave scanners are a little smaller, and the middle word letters are a little bigger. Or he's actually slightly warping them, yeah, as if they're on a rounded surface, like a like a balloon or a sphere or a ball. So there's there's this little extra pep to him saying this. There's a little flourish to the actual type of those two words, which I like. And speaking of flourish, I've just noticed this that he's got down on one knee <laughs> as he's doing it. It's almost like jazz hands. It's like sort of getting in front of them and the brainwave scanners. Da-da. Yeah. Um he's he's very dramatically unveiling this thing, presenting this thing to Laura. And you know, I'd I'd bet a little bit of money that that, that, that bit of body language is not in Hama's plot, but that <laughs> Hama might be describing Mindbender is getting more and more excited, and Gallant thinks of this really funny flourish, and then draws it. Um, there's a there's a fun new Cobra logo. When I was a kid, uh, my brother and I noted with with some interest the three or so times when the Cobra logo got added onto uh, on Serpenter's air chariot. Uh, the Cobra logo doesn't it have a little crown on it? All right. Yeah, yeah. And is it on the is it on the Night Raven that it's got sort of extra like wings? Yeah, the logo on the Rattler actually. Yeah. And then something later on, I forget who it is. Uh it's it's a later Viper. There's it's it's not the Toxo Viper 2. Uh it's not an underwater Viper, but there's there's some later Viper from like 1992 or 93 where the Cobra symbol gets a little extra something to add to the meaning it's like it's cold or it's electrical or something like this and Mm -hmm. here um as cobra commander barges into the lab um and mindbender very quickly pivots how he's talking against cobra commander to laura and instead is now talking for the benefit of cobra commander and mindbender pushes a button on a remote in this middle panel and we see the words for the first time, cerebral laundry, uh, which, by the way, I think the next time we need uh, a title for what did we do it for? We did we do we do it for the odds and ends episode? <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't Blue Harvest. What was it? Oh, a launch base. Launch base. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So the next time we need a sort of half placeholder, half <laughs> in in joke, uh, GI Joe title. Fans everywhere. I've got dibs with Mark on cerebral laundry. Um, anyway, uh, uh, there's a Cobra logo and it's got two little sort of jagged lightning bolts, um, on either side coming out of it. Like the, uh, like a logo you might see on a, on a a battery, like a nine volt battery. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, cool, that's awesome. I don't know what this is, but I like it. Yeah. We could call it Cerebro Laundry List as well. That if it's just uh, an assortment of, uh, news anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Interestingly, they call it cerebral laundry on the screen, but then they call it uh, sleeping laundry 
in the dialogue. Uh, so, so maybe, maybe a little rebranding of the uh, of the uh, scheme yes, maybe, on the fly. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you just did our error detected for the episode. I spy, I spy with, with my, my little eye. eye. Uh, we had uh, we spotted some uh, cold slither last month, and uh, and they're still there on back on page one. Um, there's a sign that says uh, cold s- uh, slither. Oh no, it's not page one. Slither, you'll be joining us soon. A band of vipers playing our tunes. We're tired of words, we heard it before. We're not gonna play those games no more. Bing! Have you found it yet? Oh, here we go. It's. Uh... About halfway through, it's the it's the scene with Scarlet and uh, Sean on the rooftop, hmm. and it says now through December, cold slither. So uh, they've obviously <laughs> they have re- had the... they, they have a residency <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, over on page one with the cruise liner, I thought you were going to call it out, but the cruise liner has actually got a name as well. It's the Naja Queen Cruise Liner. Naja being uh, Indian for snake. The mm. Naja being an Indian cobra. Naja Naja. We did you notice we had a bit more zipper tone effect in, as well in the in the inks from uh, good old uh, Maria Keane. Yeah, these these sort of pre-printed, or in the case of a program like Photoshop, pre-made, like solidly uniform diagonal lines. Uh, we see them on page uh, page thirteen. It's uh, it's all the way on the bottom panel at the left. Oh, it's also in the in the first panel. Uh, Helix's shadow on the side of the slot machine. Yeah, it does it sort of yeah crops of it here and there throughout the uh, with the issue. Um, what else do we have? Oh, yeah, we had this uh, casino worker uh, who's delivering the, the luggage who's sort of dressed a bit like a casino version of a Playboy bunny, but instead of bunny ears and a little cotton tail, they've got uh, uh, sort of cobra <laughs> ears and a little snake tail. That's and uh, Tim has already told us that that's going to be his cosplay for the next Joe Con that he goes to. So look forward to that. <laughs> John Thurman reading quotes from Galant. Let's see what he says. Larry said to make the bellhop look like a Playboy bunny outfit. So I tried to give it ears and a tail, only Cobra themed. Um, the, 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 the Cobra motif. We see the yellow um, golf cart again mm-hmm. that uh, Mindbender and Cover Commander were driving around in their previous issue. But John Thurman reading quotes from Galant. Let's see what he says. The golf cart was a Google search find, but I love '60s design, so of course I tried to pick something I could see Sean Connery's Bond driving around in. Um. You know the, the cobra motif continues uh, here and there in the in the casino with uh, you know a, a, a sort of cobra statue on the side of the staircase going up into the building where Cobra Commander has a bullhorn. Cobra Commander's podium when he's mm, welcoming everyone nice. on page two. 
um, the 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 on, on page three, uh, panel one, all the way to the right, the the front of the podium has a cobra on it. But going back to page two on the bottom panel, looking down at the surface of the podium where his speech is, it's a red circular cobra logo. Um, and his speech is written out on that piece of paper. You can see a few letters of it. Um, I thought that was a fun joke. And uh, I, I really appreciate that kind of uh, detail. I, you know, I think we're used to it in the animated series because every time there's a Cobra headquarters, there are several Cobras, you know, on it, mm -hmm. like on this parapet and on that parapet and on that tower. And then maybe the giant door, you know, in the front that tanks can come out of. Um, and that's a little silly, and we see less of that in the comic book. But a, a casino is an inherently flamboyant, ostentatious thing. So this is a good place to have a bunch of extra Cobra symbols and little three-dimensional, you know, uh, details. You've, you mentioned the, the Cobra logo on the uh, on the golf cart as well, and, and clearly from this issue, I think uh sl galan is getting a kick from drawing it but also mindbender as a character is is sort of really luxuriating in in sort of just driving around the casino in this crazy car of his and um i love the bits where cobra commander uh shouts at him mindbender get off that cart and help me welcome all of our fine partying guests eager to try their luck at our gaming tables clearly getting a little bit annoyed at mindbender for just rattling around in his oversized cart um doing his own thing i had another question for you um in terms of character and the lead up to issue 300 so uh crimson guards person laura has been established in snake hunt and after as having some sympathy for snake eyes and in the previous issue if i'm remembering correctly she was she was questioning Mindbender on if this uh, mad scheme of his needed to result in the death of Snake Eyes. Mm -hmm. gonna, you know, zap them in the scanner and make clones. And it happens again in this issue. And yes, as Dawn is overhearing them, isn't it? Yeah. On page 16, when Mindbender says, uh, will result in the death of, of the original Snake Eyes, Laura has this. Um, it's sort of subtle in the panel because she's small, she's in the background, and mm. she's colored with a lot of blues like the background. She almost disappears, but she's leading her head into her cocked back palm as if she's terribly sad and disappointed by this news. And, you know, like I, I think of How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, this famous book from the early 80s, still in print, by the way, where... You know, like you exaggerate poses, you know, you don't just draw James Jonah Jameson sitting on the phone, upset with Peter Parker. You draw him at an angle with his fist in the air and he's yelling into the phone, you know, Parker, I need those photos of Spider-Man. Um, so this is the kind of dramatic flourish that, you know, I want to see in comics. But I wonder if he's not looking at her it's not like he's turning around and seeing her divided loyalties but i wonder if how you feel about her her behavior and her um do do you buy it that she's this worried about snake eyes that she's this concerned about mindbender do you feel like hama has sort of 
telescoped too early that she's a good guy. She's going to be mm. a good guy. She's not a Cobra anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? You kind of wonder a little bit what Laura's motivations are more broadly. I think maybe maybe she's she's just a bit lost and she's found her way into Cobra that gave her structure and you know something to believe in and unquestion you know be a, sort of an unquestioning cobra loyalist and then and now she's sort of seen another way got reason to doubt it and question but has, has continued on and probably you know just it you know she's yeah like a little lost lamb following mindbender around at the moment not really kind of agreeing with what he wants but sort of going along along with it for for now and being a bit sad about it but but yeah it's, it's sort of telegraphing a little strongly perhaps that that she she's not she's wavering because i feel like you know in in five issues or at 300 there's going to be a scene where co-commander is saying laura you have snake eyes shoot him or Laura, that Joe is unconscious. Strap them into the brave wave scanner. And Laura's going to say no. And then, you know, the, the, the soap opera of this version of G.I. Joe has always been the interconnected lives of the characters. You know, Cobra Commanders, uh, the drunk driver killed uh, Snake Eyes' family. And, you know, Baroness thought Snake Eyes killed her brother in Vietnam. And... And et cetera, you know, it's like as much as much as I give a hard time to Rise of Cobra for, you know, Cobra Commander and Duke and Baroness having this shared history. Well, you know, the comic did that, but the comic did it over many, many years. Um, uh, But, you know, I think I think the thing with Laura is that I feel like we just saw this with Dawn. We saw a we saw a Cobra youth um, leave Cobra and become a Joe. and. It would be cool if Laura left Cobra and then, you know, let's pre- pretend this version of G.I. Joe goes, you know, another 20, 30, 100 issues. Like, oh, around issue t- 320, Laura, like, officially becomes a Joe. And then five issues later, she's got a costume and a code name. And then she gets a spotlight issue all to, all to herself as a Joe. That would be cool. I like this uh, soap opera. But, y- you know, it's not like Dr. Biggles Jones or Dr. Who's in issue one? Is it Burkhart? Uh, that's Burkhart, isn't it? She won. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, some of the um, some of the sort of thrill of them showing up or returning is that uh, it it doesn't happen often. Or I guess with Biggles Jones, it, it, she never came back. And it, the world's a big place, and I feel like if this comic went past issue three hundred, it's just as likely that Laura leaves Cobra and we just never never see her again. You know, she just goes to she moves to Brazil or Alaska, or drives a truck or something, you know. You know, Cobra Commander is being really nice in this story, and Laura is really nice in this story. And so what's left is Dr. Mindbender with this sort of evil plan that announces itself as an evil plan. <laughs> and um, With jazz hands. I, <laughs> I, you know, I might be, I, I might change my tune in a couple issues when it's sort of Millville again, and uh, sleeping laundry is actually like a thousand civilians who just got off a cruise ship getting brainwashed 
and now Cobra has a bargaining chip and the Joes can't just, you know, bomb the casino because it's all Cobra soldiers and bats. Or, you know, I I like Laura. I feel like it's a similar path that we've seen with Dawn and I want it to go differently. Hmm. Or I want her to be more divided. I want her to do one more bad, evil thing and then feel terrible about it, uh, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. I have I have one more uh, sort of I spy, uh, something that we've seen before, but I had completely forgotten. Mm. The Revanche logo mm. um, is uh, on that sign for Revanche Robotics when uh, the Joes have taken out their gear and we cut back to Hackensack, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had forgotten that the Revanche logo is... Uh, two R's, an R and a reverse R, which sort of feels like the Cobra logo mm-hmm. because it's on top of what sort of looks like the Arashikage mm. uh, logo. And I, I can't remember, have we seen this version of the Revanche logo before? Yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure okay. we've seen this before. Um, All right, so this isn't, this isn't a new iSpy. This is a, hey, Tim, you forgot that thing, mm-hmm. iSpy. Yeah. Okay. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Have you got any errors detected? I don't. Um, I've got just the same one that I've done for the last two months. <laughs> which oh, is, is, it, is the thing repeated on the inside yeah, front cover? It's, it's yeah. where people are being thanked for their invaluable assistance, for their invaluable assistance. And I think those, those story points that I pointed to earlier are, are, are teetering on the verge of an error detected, but... Uh, I'll I'll let it um, slide with some grumbling. There used to be a pudding that was over-egged. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. At first it was British, but then it was Commonwealth. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. But now there's a new player in town. A comic book writer of of some renown he's using real world examples and peppering the issues with with lots of samples it's a larry hammer colloquialism he's talking gi joe and all its heroism can you guess what it is is it something new now listen as larry drops a slice of real life on you so I spotted uh, Laura quoted this. She said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, which is a quote from Sigmund Freud. So uh, why was Sigmund Freud saying sometimes a cigar is just a cigar? Somewhat strange coming from the father of psychoanalysis, who seemed to take a deeper look at almost everything and, and read into into it. But some things are just simple. They don't need to be overanalyzed. They don't need to be overthought. A cigar can just be a cigar and doesn't need to be a big phallic symbol and have a huge academic thesis written about it. Somewhat ironically, I read about this quote in a long article that overanalyzed it. <laughs> uh, do you have Jitney? Jitney. I didn't write down Jitney. What's the context? Um, we, we can figure it out quickly from the context. On page three, the five Joes in disguise get into a shuttle bus. And uh-huh. uh, one of them says, isn't this nice that they provide a special Jitney for the differently disabled? So it's a, here's the shuttle bus that has one of those um, little elevator ramps for yeah. wheel- wheelchairs in the back. And then two pages later, Scarlet again refers to Oh, look, those nice ladies from the Jitney. A Jitney is a uh, 
a small bus that carries passengers over a regular route uh, uh-huh. on a flexible schedule. So, right. Bus. I assumed it was the ramp on the bus, not the bus itself. Okay. Interesting. Mm. They also then draw attention to whether there's a ramp nearby once they get off the bus. Um, I, I actually chalk that up to Hama being aware of a variety of people. Mm. And, and, and an early example is Dr. Biggles Jones. I guess Dr. Biggles Jones's mother kept her maiden name. And when they had that kid, uh, the kid had both last names hyphenated, mm-hmm. which is a thing you see in real life, like Malcolm Jamal Warner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, all, all sorts of actors and, and politicians and people, you know, you know, there's this like tendency in comics, you know, it's like, you know, all the guys are going to have names like Mike Steele and Brett Green and- <laughs> You know, like David Gunn with two N's or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, the world's a big place and yeah. America's a big place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, one, I think retired people do go to casinos, right? Like, this isn't a stereotype. It's true. Um, but um, so, yes, if a cruise ship shows up at this casino. You know, so Hama's actually <laughs> playing the odds. Um, Hama's just using a a, a, a realism here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to go in disguise, they're wearing these suits that, you know, make them look older and less able than they are. And so here's just a small little extra detail that their path from the ship to their rooms are going to need some kind of ramps or elevators. And you don't get that in X-Men comics. Because <laughs> every couple of years, Xavier gets cured and he doesn't need his wheelchair. His wheelchair flies. Also his wheelchair flies. <laughs> quote of the week, quote of the week. I had a couple of favorite line of dialogues. I've already used up one of them. Do you wanna do you have a favorite that we've not mentioned yet? Uh it was the it was the one about air conditioning. <laughs> okay. I had Mindbender getting irritated by Cobra Commander. Ah, placating Cobra Commander is becoming more arduous and stressful than it ever was before. Such a small mind fabricating such grand schemes. Yeah, just nice. Uh, Yo, Joich. Yo, Joe-Cola, not grape soda. It's Yo, Joich time. 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 Hmm. Five. Tim's quote, mmm, five. I liked the issue, but there there are two pages that felt uh, particularly like we'd seen them before. And um, it's on glossy paper, like always. And, uh, <laughs> and the other things that I, you know, don't love about the IDW approach. Okay. And, and, you know, and the ending. Uh, th- this is one of those issues where um, 15 years ago, when comics were 22 pages, not 20 pages. This would have continued for another two pages. Also, no letters page. Mm, so. I feel like I feel like we're just not going to get this until issue three hundred, and that's going to be a you know a sign off from the editor, the writer, the artist, maybe the letterer, maybe the colorist. Maybe issue three hundred will have you know guest art by some other people who will get to say something. So for me, sort of, I think I've said everything. I liked it generally. There were a couple of bits that were just slightly off if the if the dialogue had just been slightly different you know talking about 
you know, not discovering that lab as for the first time as such a big surprise, no recognition that, that Dawn and Helix had encountered a robot before. Cover that, maybe just a bit too much mind bender. Otherwise enjoyed it and and enjoying this this arc and this run and looking forward to where it goes to to next. So probably six and a half could quite e- easily have been been higher without with just a small amount different in it, I think. But you know what happens when there's an issue of G.I. Joe that I don't like as much? I like the next issue more. Because <laughs> one of two things is going to start the next issue. And I like both. One, a fight. Two, the fight is over. Mm. And I feel like I have missed five minutes or a day and the Joes are on to the next thing. Like Dawn and Helix are like running out of the hotel with their clothes a little messed up from flame and saying, Oh, thank goodness we got away from that crazy robot. It's like our cover is blown. It's like we have to tell the other three Joes that our cover is blown. Duke's like, Oh no, their cover is blown. Right. So I would like either of those two things. And so I can't, I can't guess that my Yo Joeage score for issue 294 will definitely be a six or higher, but it's likely. Mm, very good. So that, I think that's us done talking about this issue. Next time on Talking Joe, we will be covering the next issue as it comes out. So we've just talked about issue 293. So here we go. 294 will be the next one as High Stakes continues with part four. And it's due out 29th of June. So as at time of speaking, uh, that's that's only it's only a couple of weeks away. So, But that's probably going to slip a week or two because that's been happening with a lot of comics, not just IDW, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but we we've, we've 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 got the team on it. We've got the team on it. They'll do it. I sorry, I, I don't I don't mean to swipe at at any people at IDW specifically. Like tons of Marvel comics are many weeks late right now because right. of because of talent, paper shortages, pandemic delays. Uh-huh. But uh, they've yeah, they've hit the they've hit the timings for the last two issues. So Oh, okay. Um, well, good. Good job, team. So I think not, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the last two issues have, have sort of been stuck to stuck to the original solicit dates. Or I could be wrong. I could I could be I could be looking at back on the past with some rose tinted glasses. But um uh yeah, we've got uh we've got issues coming out ooh, every two or three weeks uh over the next uh couple of months. So that we that will be something good to look forward to. Um and on Talking Joe, we're also continuing to talk about the disavowed era the devil's due uh, years and uh just the other day i spoke with josh Eggerbean about their new after action report volume two book so if you've not checked out that interview uh, it's on at all of the normal places and uh, and at some point in the future we will be talking about the Saturday morning adventures too. So if you've not yet sought that out and read through it, uh, that will uh, be coming before too very long. So lots on the Talking Joe horizon. Uh, Tim, where can people find you? Hub Comics is my brick and mortar shop in Somerville, Massachusetts, and a realamericanbook.com is my blog. Woo woo! And you can find out more about the show in all of the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to all of those places. 
uh, head on over to the Facebook page. Join that if you haven't already and get involved in some of the discussions. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us. And if you don't yet subscribe to the YouTube channel, then hit that subscribe button and leave a little like and comment. Why not? Uh, we're also on Patreon, so big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher and Justin, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. For example, they'll have, they'll have been able to listen to this episode uh, before it dropped on uh, on a regular Thursday. So um, if you want to get there before everyone else and be one of the cool kids, you know what to do. It's uh, patreon.com slash talkingjoe. But all of that aside, I think we are done. But we're talking, Joe. You'll be listening to us soon. A podcast. Oh, um, nobody beats talking, Joe. An international podcast. I think I preferred the first one. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking, Joe. You'll be listening soon. Down your airwaves. Head to iTunes. Other places to... Spotify and Stitcher, you're going to, you're going to, uh, you will, uh, you will stream and learn a lot, some more. Mm, mm, mm. We'll work on it. Yeah. Um, oh, laters. Forty-nine minutes, just like I said. GI Joe sausage.